needs. You got not one, not two, but three characters. Alex Anthony, Don Carricker. I want a great homeloan.com. If you ever catch them on the program, they were with us last Friday, about every other Friday. One or more of them join us out at Scramblers. And, uh, you know, they're there on tap, not just to come to you through these airwaves, but also if you have any questions of them, you want to stop by, chat with them. Uh, they just love to help. They're very good at what they do, and they enjoy doing it. For any of your home loan needs, I want a great homeloan.com because you do. Speaking of Friday, this Friday we do have another Heroes Breakfast. That is for you veterans. If you come out to Scramblers as we broadcast live 6A to 9A, Scramblers, along with Delta Roofing and Air Services, Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical, going to buy you breakfast. Bam. So come by. It's breakfast at Scramblers, Republic Road and National. A balanced focus group on CBS's Face the Nation Sunday morning surely did not go quite as producers expected when the Democrat and the independent voter both found themselves agreeing with the Republican on key issues, including woke culture in schools. And I should note, because demographics and politics are clearly important, that the Democrat was a black woman. The discussion, moderated by anchor Margaret Brennan, started off pretty tame and predictable, with participants describing the effects of a sputtering economy, inflation, and high gas prices on their own lives. But when the topic turned to raising children in America, even Brennan seemed surprised by the level of agreement. What are your biggest concerns about raising children in America right now? Brennan asked John, the self-identified Republican on the panel. He noted the whole woke culture affecting our children. All these elementary schools and middle schools having woke culture pushed on them from the LGBT plus community for sexual identity and gender, we should be pushing the actual school studies, math, social studies, science, not, you know, gender studies or sexual identification. Seemingly hoping hoping for a counterpoint, Brennan turned next to Lawson, the Democrat black female, and asked her to weigh in on this. To which Lawhorn said, or Lawhorn said, quote, I can also agree with some of his points. I say sex education. I feel like some things are brought to the children's attention they wouldn't even think about. And you have eight kids, said Brennan. I imagine you have some pretty specific ideas in your mind when you're speaking about this. Yes, I do, she said. Children aren't, you know, they're, they're really influenced. You can teach them one thing at home, but when they go to school, they're just as much influenced by their teachers and their surroundings, and we should have more input, the parents, of what we want them to learn. Stephanie the Independent stated her agreement with John Ann uh, LaShawn before citing her own COVID-related school concerns. After a brief discussion about crime and border security, Brennan made a point to note how this focus group had been different from others that the network had done in the past. She noted, quote, often when we do these focus groups, we have people from different party affiliations disagreeing with one another, but I'm hearing all of you echo a lot of the same concerns and agreeing with each other right now, she said. None of you are very optimistic about the country right now. No, Stephanie replied dryly. Now, it's just one focus group, and it's somewhat anecdotal. But I do believe to a greater degree than we normally experience in this country. You have bipartisanship, maybe not from a political standpoint in terms of 
loyalty and affiliation. But when you take three individuals, and I'm sure this was not on purpose. I'm sure CBS did not find a Democrat and an independent who agrees with a Republican on many of these issues that run counter to what Democrats are pushing. So when they find these three individuals and they're all on the same page of what we're told is extremism, see, that's what you've got to understand. That's what they should understand. This isn't simply a matter of, well, we agree to disagree. The position that the, those, those three individuals, a Republican, an Independent, and a Democrat, we're all taking are positions that we are told by the media, that we are told by the Democrat Party are extremist, are dangerous extremist positions, particularly when it comes to the transgender issue in school. And what we're seeing here, I suppose it just depends on where it goes from here, could be a healthy thing that more Americans, I I believe, perhaps since 9-11, are really, truly, genuinely concerning themselves with the issues, what we're dealing with today, and they are not as concerned with party affiliation. Now, you're always going to have a party affiliation component to it. And you'll have some people that will say, yes, these are real problems, but they'll continue to vote for the Democrats who push these issues. But it it isn't so often that you, when it, the border issue, kids being taken to drag shows, the, the, you know, need that some teachers have to talk about their sex lives with five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, these things that, that, Average Americans, regardless of party affiliation, are all pretty much on the same page. Let's get the uh, latest news update. A small town in central Missouri is suffering great loss after a wildfire ripped through the area over the weekend. Woldridge, which is located west of Columbia near the Missouri River, was evacuated Saturday afternoon. Firefighters say that 23 buildings were destroyed. No one was injured, but one person was taken to the hospital for non-life-threatening injuries. A judge sentenced an Everton man for leading a conspiracy to distribute nearly 1,000 pounds of methamphetamine in southwest Missouri. Cheyenne Kahn was sentenced by a U.S. district judge for 21 years in federal prison without parole. A Springfield woman became the fifth defendant to plead guilty in federal court to engaging in a child exploitation enterprise that victimized at least three children. Angela Marie Brown pled guilty before a U.S. chief magistrate. By pleading guilty, Brown admitted that she engaged in a series of felony violations, including the sexual exploitation of a minor and receiving and distributing child pornography. A woman has died after a motorcycle crash in Stone County Saturday afternoon. The accident happened on Highway 76 near Cape Fair. Troopers say 69-year-old Susan Whitehower and 72-year-old Douglas Whitehower were riding a Can-Am Spider when they drove off the road and overturned. Susan was pronounced dead at the scene. Douglas was taken to a Springfield hospital with moderate injuries. Susan and Douglas are both from Fillmore, Utah. I'm Matt Moyer, Springfield's Talk, 1041. First alert forecast, showers today, high of 73, showers, possibly storms overnight, one to two additional inches possible on top of what we get today, showers and possibly a thunderstorm tomorrow with a high of 48, 
So much cooler and uh, as much as an additional inch of rain possible. Sunny, though, with a high of 63 on Wednesday. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. We had our veteran fundraising event on Saturday, and I had three different people come up and talk about how either they or, the, you know, I said, oh, I, my, I told my husband, told my wife, we've got to get garage experts out after seeing the video of, of uh, my garage transformation, which you can see uh, if you go to 1041 Nick Reed and under the, the videos on Facebook, you can see that transformation. Relatively short video. You see the before and after. I do sort of a walkthrough. Uh, and it, it, I mean, if you think seeing just the video is uh, that wow factor, seeing it in real person, I'm telling you, you can't compare. Here's the thing. I know a lot of times people hesitate because they think, well, you know, yeah, we are kind of interested in it. We could definitely use it. But I don't know if we want to call and have them come out because we're not really sure. Call, have Shelly come out. She'll do an estimate, talk with you about how you use your garage, what do you use it for. And and one of the great things about garage experts is that you don't – like. so I did um, – a significant amount of customized storage and the flooring at once. But you don't have to do it that way. If it's something you want to do over a number of years, you could do the flooring one year and then some cabinets one year, shelving the next year and so forth. They, they'll they uh, go through all of that with you. They're fantastic people. You'll like them. It's not a high-pressure thing. They're not the sort that are going to keep calling you. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to do it? If you know me, you know that I don't recommend anyone that does that. Garage experts, give them a holler. 429-2166 is the number. I rarely give out their number because, uh, you know, you're driving. It's difficult to remember. Just go to Nick's Endorsement at ksgf.com, and you can get their contact information there. Sachin Lightfeather. Depending on your age, you may or may not know the name of this person, and you may think you don't know, but then I'll tell you the background. You go, oh, yeah, I remember that. Now, this was before my time. 1973, Marlon Brando won the Oscar for The Godfather. And instead of Marlon Brando walking on stage to accept his award, he sent Sachin Lightfeather, or Sakin, S-A-C-H-E-E-N. Last name's Lightfeather. And as a Native American, she was asked by Marlon Brando to go up and accept this award, and then she spent the time uh, talking about the plight of Native Americans. And in fact, this tells you how different Hollywood is today versus then. There were people in that audience that booed her. Booed her. Clint Eastwood made a quip about it later. Yeah, you know, there were, it, it was, and I don't think they were necessarily booing her because they disagreed with her as much as this is going to come as a shock. There was a time where Hollywood felt, hey, that's not the time or place for this. We're here to accept awards, to talk about our craft. This is not a time to push off our personal beliefs little different than it is today. She has gotten a lot of coverage over the past year or so because she was in the final stages. I believe it was some form of cancer, but she was dying. She's, she's, she died. Two of her sisters have come out and said it's total lie. She's not, she's not even Native American. She's Mexican. Now, if this is just such a perfect snapshot of the media today. Breitbart has a story. This year, Hollywood and the news media took a knee for Sachin Lightfeather. Woke news outlets, including NPR, 
The New York Times and Variety ran glowing articles identifying her as a Native American, who was unjustly ridiculed and shunned by the industry when she infamously rejected Marlon Brando's Oscar for The Godfather in 1973. It culminated in August when the Academy publicly apologized to her. Yeah, I, I should actually, I think I misstated. She didn't accept it for him. She rejected it for him. There was just one problem. According to her biological sisters, Lightfeather, who died earlier this month at 75, was not Native American. Her family has no Indian ancestry they could find, nor did she grow up with a violent, abusive father, as she has claimed in the past. In interviews with the San Francisco Chronicle, sisters Rosalind Cruz and Trudy Orlandi spoke about their sibling, Marie Louise Cruz, her real name who, as a young activist and aspiring actress, took the name Lightfeather and began identifying as Native American. Her sister Orlandi told the newspaper in an exclusive interview, quote, it's a lie. My father was, or my father was who he was. His family came from Mexico. My dad was born in Oxnard. Her other sister, Cruz, adding, it's a fraud. It's disgusting to the heritage of the tribal people, and it's just insulting to my parents. The sister said in separate interviews that they have no known Indian ancestry. They identify as Spanish on their father's side and insist that their family has no claim to any tribal identity. Their mother was white. Orlandi said, quote, I mean, you're not going to be a Mexican-American princess. You're going to be an American Indian princess. It was more prestigious to be an American Indian than it was to be Hispanic in her mind. The sisters also debunked Lightfeather's claim that their father was a violent Apache alcoholic. Quote, my father was deaf. He had lost his hearing when he was nine years old through meningitis. He was born into poverty. His father, George Cruz, was an alcoholic who was violent and used to beat him, and he was passed to foster home and fam- or to, uh, to foster homes and family. Orlandi concurred. My father's father, George, he was an alcoholic, but my dad never drank. My dad never even smoked. And you know, she also blasted him and said my father was mentally ill. My father was not mentally ill. For decades, skepticism abounded about Lightfeather's identity with reports hinting she was a Hispanic actress whom Brando had hired for the Oscars. During the 1973 ceremony, she identified herself as Apache when she rejected the Oscars, citing, quote, the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. But Hollywood and the news media's conversion to wokeness in recent years compelled them to elevate her to hero status and to either ignore or suppress the evidence she was a fraud. The Cruz sister told the Chronicle that they did not speak out earlier because they thought their sister's fame would eventually dissipate. Now they said it's troubling to see her being venerated as a saint. So, in other words, it appears as if they've in the past year she was dying she had a terminal illness and these interviews i read one of the interviews a couple of months ago i think it was with variety or or one of those outfits hollywood reporter uh, where she talked about her relationship with brando and her struggles as as a native american and and so forth and as usual because it fits a narrative and so the media just runs with it and now you have the two sisters (laughs) saying none of it was true at all It, it it is just again Perfect snapshot of journalism in this country today. 
Springfield's Talk 1041. I am Nick Reed. Coming up, U.S. military forces fully prepared to cross into Ukraine. A lot of this has not made a lot of headlines, and I suspect for political reasons, U.S. military forces are fully prepared to cross into Ukraine at a moment's notice. The Army's 101st Airborne Division, Screaming Eagles, has been deployed to Europe for the first time since World War II. That next. I'm Nick Reed. Your voice is needed. The American people have to pull their heads out of their keister. Now more than ever. And start thinking like responsible Americans. Springfield's Talk 104. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. U.S. military forces fully prepared to cross into Ukraine at a moment's notice to fight a war against Russia. This, as reported by the Washington Examiner, the Army's 101st Airborne Division, which boasts the Screaming Eagles moniker, has been deployed to Europe for the first time since World War II. They are currently, according to the reports, practicing with live tank and artillery rounds not far from the Black Sea, across which Russia has taken territory from Ukraine, including Crimea, at a forward operating site on NATO's eastern flank, according to CBS News. Brigadier General John Lubis, the division's deputy commander, stressed that this is, quote, not a training deployment, but rather a combat deployment, from which his forces, quote, need to be ready to fight tonight, depending on how the situation escalates across the border. Now, this seems like, have you heard much about this? No. Does this not seem sort of like big news? Yeah. Maybe I'm blowing it out of this proportion. This should probably be some big news. I mean, you, you've got the division's deputy commander saying this is not a training deployment. It is a combat deployment from which the 101st Airborne Division, quote, needs to be ready to fight tonight, depending on how the situation escalates across the border. Talking about Ukraine. Colonel Edwin Mathedis, commander of the 2nd Brigade Combat Team, told the news outlet that these troops are the closest U.S. unit to the fighting in Ukraine, still raging more than seven months into Russia's full-scale invasion, began, quote, it keeps us on our toes, he said. The roughly 4,700 soldiers from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, are about three miles from Romania's border with Ukraine, three miles away. Gosh, it kind of makes you think back to that time that Joe Biden was talking about when you guys get into Ukraine, this is what you're going to see. And then all of his people had to walk it back saying, no, no, that's that's not what he meant. He didn't mean anything along. No, 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 no. You wonder if this. I think we underestimate. The repercussions of having a commander in chief who is not all there. And at the time, there were numerous people that wondered if, you know, why did Biden say what he said? Now, you can write it off as well because, okay, see now. But there's still usually a root reason or a root, like, where, how, why, why? One plausible explanation is that they were doing all sorts of different briefings, all sorts of different possibilities, war gaming, giving odds of if this happens, there's a good chance we are going to have to send troops in. And Biden, in his mind, you know, again, forgets what he is and isn't supposed to say. And so when he's over there in Poland, 
back however many months ago it was, talking to our troops, telling them, as he was talking about the bravery of the Ukrainian fighters and saying, that's what you'll see. When you go over there, you're going to see this. You're going to see the bravery of these people. And everyone's like, uh, wait, what? When we go over there. And the White House, well, no, he meant when they come over to Poland to train and so forth. That's not what he said. So it was a slip. The question at the time is, was it a slip that was based in nothing? Or is it a slip that was based on information that he had? Was it slipped based on a briefing that they were planning on potentially one day? If the, if the circumstances got to this point, this is something we're going to need to do. So we've got 4,700 soldiers right now within three miles of the Ukrainian border. You have Brigadier General John Lupus, the division's deputy commander, stressing it's not a training deployment. It is a combat deployment. Stating that the 101st Army's uh, 101st Airborne Division, quote, needs to be ready to fight tonight, depending on how the situation escalates across the border. This seems potentially imminent. Charlie Degada, senior foreign correspondent for CBS News, said in one report from an airbase in Romania, quote, it's not just about defending NATO territory. If the fight escalates and NATO partners are under threat, they're fully prepared to cross over into Ukrainian territory if ordered to do so. So if you've noticed, this is a very significant, yet it's, it's presented as a subtle shift that this is no longer about defending NATO territory. Because that's been the line all this time, hasn't it? NATO's together. We'll defend NATO territory. This is why it was significant, the desire of Ukraine to be part of NATO, because then that would be a a requirement that we militarily defend Ukraine uh, against uh, Russia. But if we're now shifting to not just defending NATO territory, but also our NATO allies, our NATO partners. Now, I know, like, this is a CBS News report on this, but it just seems as if, while I'm sure it's getting reported on here or there, this may be a little bit bigger of a deal than it's being treated. Uh, If I'm going to try and understand this from a political standpoint, I might speculate that this is being downplayed to some degree because of the election. And because the media recognizes that most Americans, right or wrong, don't want to see ground troops in Ukraine, especially after we turned Afghanistan over to the Taliban, all in the name of not being involved in such conflicts. And then we're going to turn around and inject ourselves into Ukraine? Now, again, I'm not making an argument for or against it right now. That's a whole different discussion to be had. You know, if this were midterms and Trump were president, I suspect that we would, I mean, the fire alarms would be going off. It would be code red. You would have members of Congress calling on a vote to prevent Trump from allowing, I mean, it it would just be all hands on deck. World War III is about to begin because Trump is president of the United States. And it would be there would be they would demand that he address the nation on this. 
I wanted to share with you something that was relatively new to me, at least in what appears to be the significance of it. And that is the number of, we're going to get a traffic update here in weather. And then the number of retired U.S. military officials that take lucrative jobs with foreign governments. We're not talking about a dozen or so. We're talking about over 500 retired U.S. military officials taking lucrative jobs and consultant as consultants and contracts with foreign governments. And there, there's some lawmakers are beginning to get very concerned about this. We're talking about countries like Saudi Arabia. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like when you have that many, it's like when you're a lawmaker and you recognize, you know, um, if I vote in a certain way and make certain allies, I will probably have a lobbyist position offered me when I'm out of here. If that is what is occurring, but with our military and foreign nations, I could see how this would warrant at least a discussion. Here's a traffic update. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Uh, first alert forecast, we're going to see showers hit in the area soon uh, throughout the day, high near 73, then showers, possibly thunderstorms overnight. A new rainfall amounts between 1 and 2 inches, another additional inch possible tomorrow with a high of only 48, sunny 63 on Wednesday, Sarah Myers. Thank you, thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a lot going on in my life between uh, hanging out with you my... talk about it I all know, the time. I know, I really do. I got the husband, I got the kid, I got friends, family. Enough already. I know. Well, um, so I got a lot going on, and that means that sometimes I don't have enough time to pay attention to my home as much as I probably should, which uh, is ironic because my home is the largest investment that I have made in my life and probably ever will. And that is why I recommend my friends over at Beatles Property Maintenance. Now, Beatles is spelled B-E-A-D-L-E-S. And when life gets a little hectic and you notice something's going wrong in your home, Beatles Property Maintenance can take that stress away and you won't have to worry about it. Now, they can do a lot of uh, jobs for you. They can do a lot of those bigger name jobs. Maybe you have some crawl space problems. Maybe you have some mold. Maybe you've had a water leak that has been left untreated. Or maybe you're like me and you have a lot of little honey-do list items, uh, things that I tell my husband in passing. Oh, I wish we could get a new ceiling fan in our living room. Or, hey, maybe we should get our bathroom remodeled soon. Those are things that Beatles Property Maintenance can help you out with as well. Now, if you are in that situation, highly recommend giving them a call today. You can find all of the contact information for Bruce and his team at ksgf.com under the Sarah's Endorsements tab. The following story is a Washington Examiner story that bounces off of a Washington Post investigation. Now, I will say from the onset that this as a concept, the, the what what they're reporting on here, maybe exposing is a better word. I, I haven't had time to really think about it, but I can tell you just my initial gut reaction is this does not sound positive overall. More than 500 retired U.S. military officials have taken lucrative jobs as consultants and contractors with foreign governments and lawmakers are expressing concern. These contracts have become newly controversial after a Washington Post investigation of how widespread these arrangements are, including the fact that some foreign governments, many with poor track records, 
on human rights offer salary and benefit packages that reach six figures, sometimes seven figures. Fifteen retired U.S. generals and admirals have worked as paid consultants for the Saudi government since 2016. It lists them. You've got um, somebody from the Obama administration. You've got some uh, Obama administration, the Bush administration. The outlet obtained the documents through Freedom of Information Act lawsuit while the government fought to keep the information secret. That's even more bothersome. Representative Jason Crow, a Democrat from Colorado, told the Washington Examiner in an interview that it's extremely concerning and that he's been concerned about it for a few years, though the latest reporting really illustrates the breadth of the issue. Quote, everyone always thinks about weapon systems and tanks and fighter jets and technology, but the information in the heads of our war fighters, their knowledge, their skills actually is just as decisive, if not more decisive, on the battlefield and our, our technology and our hardware. And if you think about the transfer of that knowledge and know-how to government without proper oversight, that could jeopardize our national security. From his conversation with colleagues, the Colorado lawmaker has found that, quote, there's an appetite on Capitol Hill to learn more information through oversight and possibly strengthen regulations through legislation. Representative Seth Moulton, Democrat, Massachusetts, an Iraq war veteran, told the Washington Examiner in a statement, quote, it's certainly time for a tougher policy and much stronger enforcement. While his office noted that it's a concerning trend pointing to the United Kingdom's recent warning that former British military pilots have been recruited by Chinese officials to help their military. Moulton's office is looking into the possibility of an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act that would address the process and enforcement of these rules and regulations. The Pentagon and State Department approve veterans' foreign work, and the approvals are necessary before a military retiree can accept any compensation from a government or state-owned company. While officials have the latitude to deny applications it believes would adversely affect the foreign relations of the United States, about 95% of the more than 500 requests submitted since 2015 have been approved. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder, when asked about the Washington Post investigation, referred the regulations, uh, referenced rather, the regulations without calling for any additional restrictions. Quote, I would highlight that as a private U.S. citizen, retired service members are certainly free to seek employment at their discretion, but certain standards do apply. And the reason that is, is because safeguarding national security and classified information, as well as preventing conflict of interest, will always remain paramount to the Department of Defense. Well, forgive me if I don't trust that. Quote, there are policies, there are laws, there are regulations, they are well established, and it is something that the DOD members are educated on, retirees are educated on, and you are required to follow them. Crow acknowledges that Ryder's comments were certainly true but noted. What I don't know sitting here as a member of Congress on what on an oversight committee is, how many folks exactly are doing this, what services exactly, exactly are they providing, and whether those fall within the realm of permissible activity. Well, and there are a number of other concerns as well, including the fact that these people still have contacts within the military. You know what I think about when I – so let me tell you, to me – There is the obvious concern that's noted here that, okay, it's one thing when other countries obtain our technology. But in some capacities, it's perhaps even more valuable to have the brain with the information in it of those who have served high up in our military. 
And for a country that likes to, when it's convenient, demonize a country like Saudi Arabia, whether it should or shouldn't be, to have, uh, what was it, 15, 15 retired U.S. generals and admirals working as paid consultants for the Saudi government since 2016? But to me, again, what concerns me, it may not be as prevalent, but it could be more dangerous, is a person that is relatively high up in the military that is preemptively gunning for one of these positions. I don't think it is unheard of for a lawmaker to... operate in such a way that they feel will make it more likely that they can get a cushy job with some lobbyist firm, some K Street firm, when they decide to retire from uh, being a lawmaker. You cozy up with these people, you allow them direct access to you, and and then lo and behold, uh, they can utilize you. And, And so... How often is it that we worry, sometimes right, rightly so, about lawmakers that are more interested in what the lobbyists want than what the American people want? Well, if you, you take that scenario and then you look at the fact that you have hundreds of generals and admirals that are, are sometimes up to seven figures to advise foreign countries. Not, not, we're not paying them. The, the foreign countries are. Are we expected to believe, I know ideally, no one in our military would ever make advisements to the president or make decisions uh, for any purpose other than what's best for the United States. And they certainly would never make any decisions with an eye on some seven-figure job from some foreign country. Uh, But let's just play devil's advocate here and say that one bad apple happens to get in there. Well, what would that look like? I can tell you what it would look like. It would look like having, you know, somebody that picks up the phone and calls the counterpart in China, letting them know, don't worry if the president of the United States is going to make any sort of move militarily. I'll call and give you a heads up. General Milley, anyone? Now, I don't know that that's why he was doing it, but that certainly was, by all appearances, acting on behalf, on the behalf of the Chinese communists, not the United States. When it was revealed that he was secretly calling his counterparts in China, letting them know he would give them a heads up if the United States were going to make some sort of move like that. And while there, of course, could be countless motivating factors for that, if one were trying to sort of preemptively get in the good graces of a country that you would love to get hired as a consultant for to six to seven figures, that would be one way to do it. I I suspect this will not be, if, if this is the sort of problem that it certainly to me seems it could be, in the interest of the United States. 
nothing meaningful will probably get done about it because nobody wants to be seen as anti-military. Nobody wants to, I I shouldn't say nobody. There are some that don't mind, but to have it, it clearly, this is something that a significant number of people operating within the higher up levels of the military like to have as an option. And so they are going to definitely do whatever they can to make sure lawmakers don't undo their ability to do this, and that is a tremendous amount of pressure, which tends to make me think that nothing meaningful will ever get done to prevent this sort of thing from occurring, should it not be occurring. And like I said, it certainly seems, even if you have the most pure intentions, Given as small as the odds may be that this could be used against us, I don't know that it's really worth it. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 1041. Former Chinese President Hu Xintao unexpectedly led out of the closing ceremony for the Chinese Communist Party meeting Saturday while he sat next to President Xi Jinping, the 79-year-old direct predecessor to Xi, uh, was seated to the, the left of the Chinese leader before two men who appeared to be security officials approached him, forcibly uh, removed him from his seat. Uh, video footage of the starkly unusual incident circulated on social media, sparking questions over why the former leader who served from 03 to 13 was forcibly escorted out. Footage released by the AFP showed an official attempting to forcibly lift Hugh from his seat as Xi turned to him. Hugh then placed his hand on a sheet of paper on top of Xi's folder, but the Chinese president then quickly put his hand on that sheet to prevent him from taking it. She did not directly watch as Hugh was removed from his seat, but instead sat with his head tilted, listening to what was unfolding. Hugh did not appear as though he wished to leave the chair as he touched the back of uh, Xi's right arm and said something to the Chinese leader. And so it's just it's reminiscent of footage that we have seen at times where you, you're essentially purging anyone that might be a challenge that, that might... While from the outside you think, well, this there's no challenge there, but just anyone that even has some sort of air of leadership and, and you cleanse them out, you you have a one-party rule system and you want to make sure that there's no questioning of your authority. You want to, you want to send a message, a message that it does not matter who you are. I am in charge now, and I can have you removed. I can call you before committees. I can have you put in jail. I can utilize my position and my control over the media in order to create this the whatever narrative I want. And it appears as if we, we saw a combination of, of all of that to some degree occurring in China. A natural segue here, if you will. will. Live January 6th testimony. Liz Cheney won't let Trump get a circus going. It's just amazing when you look at and the, the world is just shocked at the image of, of this happening where you've got this leader being treated, this former leader tre- being treated this way for political purposes. While here, I you know, this has been going on for months and months and months. 
Now, this, of course, Democrats have said, all right, we want to subpoena Trump. And Trump has let it be known. Yeah, he'll do it if it's live. There's no way they're going to allow him to do that. They want to, in a communist Chinese fashion or former Soviet Union fashion, have a secret trial in which they can selectively then release whatever information is that they want. The last thing that they want is for transparency to rule the day. So Liz Cheney said yesterday, former President Donald Trump will not be allowed to turn any testimony he gives to the January 6th committee into a circus. We will, are not going to let the former president, he's not going to turn this into a circus, she said. She was responding to a question from Chuck Todd, who asked her about the prospect of Trump testifying live for TV. The congresswoman stressed that the committee will not let Trump turn any testimony he gives into a first debate with President Joe Biden. So already, and this is how I figured it would play out. They anticipated that Trump would potentially agree to do it as long as it's in public. And that's why I wouldn't do it behind closed doors. This committee has gotten caught so many times releasing false information, releasing doctored information, releasing doctored text, falsely accusing Americans, including members of Congress, of writing things, of saying things that they never said, and that it gets the big headlines, it gets the story. It's called a bombshell. And then quietly the next day, they're like, oh, yes, that was an accident. I, uh, we edited that in a way that probably we shouldn't have and, and so forth. But we, we watch you know, and, and we point the finger at the evils of somebody like Putin or the evils of, of communism and how they purge out political dissent and how they set up show trials and they don't allow the accused to give their perspective. And here we've got it happening right here in America. Not to mention it, this, it's still this vacuum of outrage for the journalist James Gordon Meek. This is the award-winning journalist. I talked about this last week. It was in a Rolling Stone article. I know I heard Glenn Beck talking about it. I don't know where else, but I'm sure it's been talked about elsewhere, at least in the talk radio world. But certainly, I mean, this is a fellow journalist. You would, I say fellow. From the perspective of actual journalists, where is the outrage here? This was a guy who was writing, evidently, some sort of expose or not-quite-so-flattering piece on the withdrawal of Afghanistan, the debacle there. The Biden Department of Justice, FBI, raided his home, illegally leaked out information claiming he had classified info on his laptop. This was back in April, and he has not been seen since. He has disappeared. Tell me that is not communist Chinese uh, way of dealing with the media or... Putin's Russia way of dealing with the media. Now, who knows? He may have just decided he wanted to get out of here. But the media ignoring it is like the media in Russia or the media in China or the media in North Korea. Just quietly pretend as if nothing at all is going on. You're listening to Nick Reed in the Morning on Springfield's Talk 104.1. 
Capital Punishment Director, that's the name of a documentary, Chris Burgard, described the chilling visit he got from the FBI. After making his movie about January 6th, noting, quote, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. It is happening. It's happening to lots of Americans. Burgard has been making films for decades. He told the Daily Wire Friday that not once with any of those movies about everything from the Vietnam War to an expose on the southern border did he get a visit from the FBI. In his movie, he challenges the media's insurrection narrative and gives protesters who say they've never entered the building the chance to speak after being vilified and more as previously reported. The director, who lives on a large ranch with a quarter-mile driveway in Texas with his family, said... It was his wife, Lisa, who discovered the FBI agent's card on the door. There was no note attached. Were we supposed to call them back? I really didn't know what to make of it, but it was a warning. I mean, I've never had anything like this happen before. She said Chris got an attorney, reached out to the FBI. The FBI told them that they had a call into the terrorist threat center, that he was a terrorist because he made a movie about capital punishment and they had orders from D.C. to investigate him. This is the Democrats' America. Glenn Beck's next. Talk to you.